This is a When Walls Can Talk network podcast. I've been receiving the most beautiful messages and posts lately, and while some I don't know if I am safe to share here with the public because of how deeply personal they are, I want to just take a moment to reflect my gratitude for how much people have engaged with the content of this podcast and how much it's meant to them. When I started this little podcast project a couple years ago, I certainly didn't set out to or expect to create something that might inadvertently help other people through their own lives and their own experiences. One message that I received let me know kind of the place the podcast has played in a very intense healing journey from a tragic loss in the not-so-distant past, and just kind of what sort of space it's held for them. And I'm so grateful that not only has this podcast allowed that to begin, but that you've also leaned in and allowed it to do so. So to all my listeners who really try to glean so much insight about our world from what I have to say, I'm just profoundly grateful. And thank you for allowing me that space in your lives. And yeah, I just, I'm just very reflective today on that. I also received a really, really special message in our When Walls Can Talk, the podcast Facebook group. So if you're not in the Facebook group, go and join us. I promise there's going to be quite a bit more content coming to you there very shortly. Uh, we'll be picking up speed and making that group something really special. But somebody messaged me, Hey, Jeremy, new listener here, and can I say, damn, what a freaking fabulous series of podcasts. I listen to When Walls Can Talk and Cinematic Secrets, and I'm hooked. Love the way you deliver the music and the research you put behind every single episode. It really shows by the quality of each one. I'm currently playing catch-up, but cannot wait for new episodes. Sending love from Australia. Which is really cool, first of all. I have listeners in every content all over the planet, but... This is the first time that I've really connected with somebody listening from the other side of the planet and the other hemisphere. So hello from Denver, Colorado, and thank you for being here. And today's episode is going to be radically and wildly different than anything we've ever done before. So let's dive in. Let's do this. Lately, I've found myself deeply reflecting on the Winchester Mansion, a place we've all heard tales about. I know we've ventured into many paranormal locations together in the past, often following familiar narratives. But today I'm asking for a little bit of indulgence from you, my listeners. I've been toying with a concept, a different angle, something that diverges a little from our usual path. It's a bit personal, a bit introspective, and perhaps a tad bit unconventional. But I genuinely believe it adds a fresh voice to the conversation. So I hope you'll join me on this unique journey as we explore the iconic Winchester Mansion in a light you might not have seen before. Imagine standing at the entrance of a grand, ancient mansion. Its ornate facade, intricately carved, stands tall, whispering tales of time and the gentle rustle of the wind. The massive double doors beckon, not just inviting you into a house, but into the labyrinth of the human mind itself. As you venture in, the mansion unfurls its vastness. Corridors stretch in every direction, some illuminated and inviting, 
others dim and winding. These pathways, mirroring our brain's complex neural networks, are repositories of memories. Some lead you into grand ballrooms, resonating with laughter from cherished moments, while others guide you to dimly lit corners, whispering of forgotten tales. Each room in this mansion tells its own story. The vast library, with its endless shelves of books, represents our accumulated knowledge and experiences. The art-adorned gallery mirrors our perspectives, the unique lens through which we view our world. And then there are those rooms, tightly locked, which we tread lightly around. They hold our deepest secrets, the vulnerabilities and fears we've hidden away. This mansion, in its grandeur and mystery, is a metaphor for our psyche. And as we navigate its halls, we journey deeper into understanding the intricacies of our own minds. What if I told you that a mansion, mirroring the complexities of the human mind, actually exists? In the heart of San Jose, California, the Winchester Mystery House rises, a testament to Victorian eccentricity. Its maze-like corridors, stairs leading to nowhere, and doors opening to brick walls make it a puzzle in architectural design. But what if this house, with all its quirks and mysteries, was more than just walls and ceilings? Could it possibly be a reflection of the very soul of its creator? As I've delved deeper into this concept, I found myself reflecting on my own mind mansion. I pondered the corridors I've walked, the rooms I've locked, and the memories I've cherished. This journey, both personal and profound, made me realize that understanding such a mansion isn't just about exploring an external edifice. It's about deep personal reflection and navigating the intricate passageways and pathways of our mind. I invite you to embark on this journey with me not as passive listeners, but as fellow explorers. By understanding the Winchester Mystery House in a unique way, as a reflection of the mind, we gain insights into our own complexities, our fears, our joys, and our hidden chambers. It's a journey of self-discovery, and I genuinely believe that together, we can uncover revelations that transcend the walls of any mansion, no matter how mysterious. Throughout my research and reflections on Sarah Winchester, I've often found myself pausing, lost in thought, drawing parallels between her life and my own experiences. The more I've delved into the narrative of the Winchester Mystery House, the more I felt a personal connection. It wasn't just about the half-completed rooms or cracking plaster, nor the legends that surround them. It was about the universal human experience of grappling with our emotions, memories, and inner demons. I've walked my own corridors of doubt, lingered in rooms of reflection, and faced my own haunting spirits. And in sharing this unique perspective on the Winchester Mansion, I hope to offer not just a fresh take on a well-known tale, but also an opportunity for introspection. For isn't that the essence of storytelling? to find the universal in the specific, to see ourselves in others, and to understand that every structure, be it a mansion or a mind, has a story waiting to be told. 
So as we step into this narrative, I ask you to walk with me, not just as listeners, but as fellow travelers on a journey of discovery and understanding. I'm Jeremy Haig, and this is When Walls Can Talk. Throughout the ages, man has repeated the same earnest saying, more of a question really, or perhaps even a plea, if these walls could talk. But what if they do, and always have? Perhaps their stories, memories, and messages are all around us, if only we would take the moment to listen. On this podcast, we reinvestigate legends and tales of the past and allow the echoes of their lessons to live on once again, informing us, educating us, and sharing new and unique insight into the inner workings of the paranormal and spiritual world. Will you dare to listen? This is When Walls Can Talk, the podcast. Growing up, I was that peculiar kid with a penchant for all things eerie. The Winchester Mystery House in San Jose, California held a special place in my heart. If, like me, you were a fan of shows like Ghost Adventures, you'll undoubtedly recall the episode dedicated to this mansion. The tale is as intriguing as it is haunting. Sarah Winchester, the heiress to the Winchester rifle fortune, was said to have had construction crews working tirelessly day and night every day of the year. Legend has it that a psychic advised her to continuously build, to confound the restless spirits of those who met their end by Winchester rifles. This sprawling Victorian mansion, with its peculiar architecture, is nothing short of legendary. Beyond its maze-like corridors, doors that open to voids and staircases leading straight into ceilings, lies the captivating narrative of its creator, Sarah Winchester. The lore suggests that Sarah, burdened by the weight of the Winchester legacy, was tormented by the souls of those felled by the very rifles that built her fortune. It's said that these phantoms drove her to the brink, compelling her to endlessly expand and alter the mansion, crafting its labyrinthian design to bewilder these spectral pursuers. As a child, I took these tales at face value, believing that Sarah was genuinely haunted, or at least convinced of it. But as I delved deeper, I realized that the ghostly tales surrounding the Winchester Mystery House might be more myth than reality. But stay with me, because there is something to this legend that's truly interesting to consider. The legendary Sarah Winchester seems to diverge significantly from the historical figure. So one must wonder, if not to elude spirits, why does the mansion bear its unique design? What birthed this legend, and who, truly, was Sarah Winchester? In the midst of San Jose's urban sprawl, where modernity's glass giants reach for the sky, there's an anomaly that's hard to ignore. The Winchester Mystery House. It's sprawling, covering 24,000 square feet, 
and it's a curious blend of Queen Anne elegance juxtaposed with Gothic mystery. It's a structure punctuated with turrets, balconies, and a staggering 47 chimneys, all casting a complex myriad of shadows that play tricks on the eyes as the day unfolds. The mansion's redwood bones, a nod to California's lush forests, have stood resilient, absorbing decades of whispered secrets. Approaching the entrance, there's almost a palpable sense of anticipation. The doors seem to beckon, promising a journey into the unknown. And once you step inside, the house's labyrinthian layout is disorienting, to say the least. Rumor has it that there are around 2,000 doors. Some lead to opulent rooms draped in rich fabrics, while others, in a twist that feels straight out of a mystery novel, open to reveal, well, just walls. Every hidden alcove, every unexpected turn, seems to be whispering tales from the past, echoing with the memories from those who once called this place home. As I've considered these halls, I've often wondered, what drove her to create such a place? And as we journey through together, I hope to share with you not just the facts and figures, but the soul of this mansion. I've reflected on the complex journey of the human psyche, and I've often found myself likening it to the sprawling quarters of a mansion. Each quarter, distinct and rich with tales, mirrors the intricate neural pathways that crisscross our minds. But what really is memory? At its essence, Memory is our brain's remarkable ability to encode, preserve, and recall moments. It's like the diary that we all carry within us, chronicling our past and influencing our tomorrows. I've come to see the corridors of the Winchester Mystery House as metaphors for the diverse memories we harbor. Take episodic memory, for instance. It's the vivid recollection of specific events, much like remembering the very day Sarah Winchester perhaps first stepped into her soon-to-be home. And then we have semantic memory, our reservoir of facts and knowledge. It's our understanding, for example, that the mansion is a blend of Queen Anne style and Gothic revival. And let's not forget procedural memory, the kind that's second nature, almost instinctual. I often wonder if Sarah, over the years, moved through her home's labyrinthian passageways effortlessly, her very step almost a ritualistic instinct. That would be a good example of procedural memory. Memories, I've come to discover, might be much like photographs in an old album, varying in clarity. Some are as sharp and vibrant as a freshly painted portrait, while others have the muted tones of a sun-bleached print. And then there are those memories, perhaps too painful or overwhelming, that we tuck away in the shadowed corners of our minds. Navigating the Winchester House, I'm often struck by the symbolism of its doors. Some usher us into grand, opulent chambers, mirroring those crystal-clear memories. Yet others lead to modest alcoves or even dead ends, emblematic of the memories we've dimmed or chosen to sequester. Reflecting further on Sarah Winchester's narrative, it's evident that her life was punctuated with moments that would have carved indelible imprints on her psyche. The heart-wrenching loss of her child, the passing of her spouse, and the looming legacy of the Winchester rifle. Each event, a distinct passage in her mental mansion. 
I can't help but wonder if the house's ever-evolving design was Sarah's unique way of processing or attempting to compartmentalize her memories, of seeking a niche for each poignant moment. As we delve deeper, I hope to share with you not just the architecture of the mansion, but the architecture of a soul, shaped by memories and time. But I suppose in order to fully make sense of this analogy, I suppose I need to set the scene first. The origins of the Winchester fortune are not what most would expect. It wasn't birthed from the world of firearms, but rather from the humble beginnings of shirt manufacturing. Oliver Winchester, the father of Sarah's husband, William, was a co-founder of Winchester and Davies Shirt Manufacturing in the mid-19th century. Interestingly, when Sarah embarked on the ambitious project of the Mystery House, it was primarily this shirt manufacturing wealth, not the rifle fortune, that financed the vast majority of its construction and renovations. By the 1860s, Oliver Winchester, ever the entrepreneur, saw potential beyond textiles. He ventured into the arms industry, investing in the Volcanic Repeating Arms Company. This company was at the forefront of innovation, having developed a groundbreaking repeating revolver with volcanic firing capabilities. It's crucial to understand the context of firearms during this era. Guns were not as we know them today. Loading them was a cumbersome and lengthy process, a significant disadvantage in the high-pressure situations like warfare, particularly for the inexperienced or panic-stricken soldier. Sarah's brother-in-law, Homer Sprague, penned a vivid account of his wartime experience, highlighting the challenges of the time. The act of loading and firing while advancing was fraught with difficulty, risking utter chaos. Yet our rigorous training and unwavering belief in our impending success held us together, even as a barrage of projectiles assaulted us. Our modest group of 500 found itself engulfed in a sea of 3,000 rebels. The situation appeared dire, with all hope seemingly extinguished. As the dark clouds of the Civil War gathered, the need for advanced weaponry became increasingly evident. However, the Volcanic Repeating Arms Company, despite its innovative ideas, was plagued by poor management and soon found itself drowning in debt. Sensing an opportunity, Oliver Winchester astutely settled the company's debts, taking control and rebranding it as the New Haven Arms Company, named after the Winchester's hometown of New Haven, Connecticut. Oliver then tapped into the expertise of Benjamin Henry, a mechanic from his shirt factory. Henry's genius led to the creation of the world's first repeating rifle, capable of firing an astonishing 15 shots in a mere 10 seconds, a feat unparalleled in that era. As the inevitability of war became clear, Oliver, armed with these revolutionary Henry rifles, sought lucrative contracts with the Union Army. However, many military leaders were apprehensive, fearing the heightened carnage such advanced weaponry could unleash. While the Civil War predominantly saw the use of single-shot firearms, the lesser-known battles in the West were dominated by these Winchester repeaters. The plot thickened when Oliver, while in Europe pursuing arms deals, made a grievous error. He granted power of attorney to Benjamin Henry, who harbored no fondness for him. Seizing the opportunity, 
Henry petitioned the Connecticut State Legislature to rebrand New Haven Arms Company as the Henry Repeating Rifle Company, effectively sidelining Winchester. However, Henry underestimated Oliver's business acumen. In a strategic move, Winchester pulled all of his investments from the company, founding the Winchester Repeating Arms Company, leaving Henry's venture starved of funds. Within a year, Winchester offered to settle the debts of the Henry Repeating Rifle Company, regaining control and leaving Henry out in the cold. Soon after, the iconic Henry rifles were indelibly etched in the public consciousness as Winchester rifles. In the fiercely competitive world of arms dealing, Oliver Winchester was a force to be reckoned with. While Samuel Colt, the renowned owner of Colt revolvers, had carved a niche for himself as the P.T. Barnum of the arms industry, Oliver aspired to outdo him. Colt's reputation was that of a ruthless businessman, and Oliver was determined to be even more relentless in his pursuit of success. The end of the Civil War saw a decline in the demand for firearms. The completion of the Transcontinental Railroad in 1869 opened up a new frontier for Oliver. He quickly set up an office in San Francisco, targeting the burgeoning clientele of dock workers, sailors, and eventually, American settlers and indigenous Americans. Oliver's business strategy mirrored that of Colt's in its lack of scruples. He was more than willing to sell arms to opposing factions in a conflict. However, the scales were undeniably tipped in favor of the settlers, who used the Winchester rifles in their own violent campaigns against the native population. The marketing for these rifles often employed derogatory language, with advertisements boasting the Winchester's prowess in hunting, with phrases like, for Indian, bear, or buffalo hunting, the Winchester rifle is unrivaled. This not only showcased the rifle's capabilities, but also reflected the prevailing biases of the era. In the tumultuous backdrop of America's westward expansion, the Winchester rifle emerged as a symbol of power and survival. As the U.S. government increasingly confined Native Americans to reservations, often depriving them of their traditional hunting grounds and food sources, desperation grew. In response, many Native communities began amassing Winchester rifles, dubbing them spirit guns for their seemingly unending firepower. These rifles became instruments of resistance in numerous Native uprisings, even as they were wielded against them by opposing forces. Oliver Winchester, ensconced in his world of commerce, profited immensely from the turmoil. Not only did the U.S. military finally recognize the superiority of the repeater rifle, but the government also began distributing these rifles gratis to westward-bound settlers and some cowboys. The rifle's legendary status was further cemented by the likes of Buffalo Bill Cody. His traveling Wild West shows, which debuted in 1883, painted a romanticized, often distorted picture of the American West. With his trusty Winchester in hand, Buffalo Bill regaled audiences with tales of frontier bravery, often touting the rifle as the ultimate weapon against native adversaries. The Winchester rifle, thus, became emblematic of the West, wielded by settlers, cowboys, and Native Americans alike. Yet, as with all tales steeped in blood and conquest, the sheen of glory began to tarnish. The very land that bore witness to the rifle's might 
would also serve as a silent testament to its cost. As years passed, the collective conscience began to grapple with the darker chapters of America's westward saga, questioning the price of progress and the ethics of a legacy built upon violence. As the 19th century waned, a wave of introspection began to sweep across America. Publications emerged, shedding light on the brutalities inflicted upon Native Americans and the often overlooked violence between white settlers. While a significant portion of the populace remained indifferent or even hostile to the plight of the natives, a growing number voiced their dissent against such injustices. A curious phenomenon began to manifest. Rather than confronting the deeply entrenched racial prejudices and the ideologies that fueled them, many sought a more tangible scapegoat, the Winchester rifles themselves. In a twisted dance of blame, the very instrument of violence became the focal point of public ire, conveniently diverting attention from the deeper, more uncomfortable truths of racial animosity and colonial greed. Both the public's complicity and the Winchester Company's unabashed profiteering from violence were to blame. Yet the narrative was skewed, with the rifle bearing the brunt of the collective guilt. By the early 20th century, the romanticized version of the Old West had firmly taken root in the American psyche. The Winchester Company, seizing this sentiment, began marketing its rifles as the gun that won the West. The public, eager to embrace this glorified version of history, lapped it up. Amidst this backdrop, Sarah and William Winchester reaped the benefits of the booming arms business. Sarah, like many women of her era, largely remained in the shadows of her husband's endeavors. Despite her peripheral involvement in the rifle business, she would become intrinsically linked to its legacy, more so than any other member of the Winchester clan. The reason? A series of events that would thrust her into the limelight long after she inherited the Winchester riches. But to truly grasp the enigma that was Sarah Winchester, we must first delve into her life, her persona, and the circumstances that made her a figure of intrigue and speculation. Born in the bustling town of New Haven, Connecticut in 1839, Sarah Lockwood Pardee was the apple of Leonard Pardee and Sarah Burns' eyes. Among her siblings, five sisters and a brother, Sarah's world was one of familial warmth, punctuated by the occasional heartbreak, such as the loss of one of her sisters during infancy. In what can only be described as serendipity, the 1850s saw the Pardee family relocating to a street that was also home to the Winchester clan. This geographical proximity sowed the seeds of a deep bond between the two families, intertwining their destinies. Growing up, Sarah's days were filled with the rhythmic sounds of hammers and saws. Her father, Leonard, was a skilled carpenter, and their home was a hive of activity, always buzzing with craftsmen and artisans. This environment nurtured in Sarah a profound appreciation for craftsmanship, a passion that she would harbor throughout her life. Leonard, with an astute business sense, was quick to embrace the ornate Victorian design trends of the time. By introducing the grandeur and intricacy of Victorian architecture to New Haven homes, he not only transformed the city's skyline, but also amassed considerable wealth. 
But the party household wasn't just about carpentry and commerce. Leonard and his family were forward thinkers, champions of progressive ideals in an era where such beliefs were often met with skepticism. This environment of open-mindedness and encouragement allowed Sarah and her siblings the freedom to chart their own paths, unconstrained by societal norms. Sarah, though outwardly reserved and demure, was a cauldron of ideas and beliefs, deeply influenced by her family's progressive ethos. This foundation would play a pivotal role in shaping the woman she would become and the legacy she would leave behind. In the quaint neighborhood of New Haven, young Sarah and William Wirt Winchester's paths crossed as childhood neighbors. William, with the weight of the Winchester legacy on his shoulders, grew up with the expectation of inheriting the family's shirt manufacturing business. While his father, Oliver, was a force to be reckoned with, William's constitution was more delicate. His health was fragile, and he lacked the fierce determination that characterized his father. Yet, in the matters of the heart, he found his match in Sarah. As the 1860s dawned, the two began their romantic journey, their bond strengthening with each passing day. Amidst the tumultuous backdrop of the Civil War in 1862, Sarah and William exchanged vows. The war's shadow loomed large, but William's frail health exempted him from the battlefield's horrors. However, the specter of tragedy was never far behind. In 1863, the Winchester household was plunged into mourning. William's sister, Anna Dye, met a tragic end during childbirth. The sorrow was compounded when her newborn son passed away just 19 days later, a heartbreak closely followed by the untimely death of her two-year-old son. The walls of the Winchester home echoed with grief, and the weight of these losses bore heavily on Sarah and William. The couple, who had initially planned to set up their own household, found themselves anchored to the Winchester residence, a place that had witnessed both joy and profound sorrow. In 1865, hope blossomed in the form of Sarah's pregnancy. The news was met with a mix of elation and trepidation, especially given the tragic events that had unfolded during the last childbirth in the same house. The anticipation was palpable, with both hope and fear intertwining as the family awaited the newest addition to their lineage. In 1866, the Winchester household was filled with joy, as Sarah gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. They named her Annie, a touching tribute to the late Annie Dye. But as fate would have it, their happiness too was short-lived. The Victorian era with its limited medical advancements was a challenging time for infants. Little Annie Party Winchester, despite the love and care showered upon her, faced health challenges from the outset. She had difficulty feeding and retaining nourishment, leading to a heart-wrenching diagnosis of marasmus. The cruel hands of fate snatched away the infant Annie just a month after her birth, leaving her to wither away from malnutrition. The loss was devastating. Sarah and William, their hearts shattered, withdrew from the world, seeking solace in each other's company and the confines of their home. But Sarah wasn't done with Sarah. In the subsequent years, she faced the loss of her father, Leonard Pardee, deepening the wounds of grief. A pattern was emerging, 
one where death seemed to be a constant companion in Sarah's journey. Yet amidst all this personal turmoil, Sarah remained distant from the business endeavors of her husband and father-in-law, choosing to stay away from the complexities of the Winchester Empire. Sarah's keen observation of the family's business operations, especially in the world of finance and real estate, began to shape her understanding of these domains. As the Winchester family embarked on the ambitious project of constructing a lavish residence in New Haven, Sarah and William found themselves deeply involved in its design and execution. This venture provided a much-needed distraction from the lingering pain of their loss. The process of selecting materials, liaising with craftsmen, and overseeing the intricate details of the mansion's design became a therapeutic outlet for the couple. The art of creation, the transformation of an idea into a tangible structure, became a balm for their wounded souls. Their immersion in the world of architecture and construction wasn't just a fleeting interest. It blossomed into a genuine passion. The couple reveled in the joy of seeing their visions come to life, brick by brick and room by room. But as they reveled in this newfound passion, fate was preparing yet another test for Sarah. The years 1880 and 1881 loomed ahead, casting shadows that would change her resilience and strength in ways she could never have imagined. The year 1881 was a tempest of emotions for Sarah. In less than a year, she faced the devastating loss of her mother, father-in-law, and her beloved husband, William. The weight of such profound grief was compounded by the sudden responsibility of managing a vast inheritance. From her mother's estate, Sarah received a significant sum, which was divided among the siblings. The Winchester legacy, however, was a different magnitude altogether. Thousands of shares, bonds, real estate, and a trust amounting to $300,000 were now in her name. Yet the arms business, the very foundation of this wealth, held absolutely no allure for her. She chose to distance herself from the operations of the Winchester Repeating Arms Company, entrusting its management to those more invested in its future. Amidst the whirlwind of financial consultations and funeral arrangements, Sarah sought solace in the calming embrace of the seaside. The rhythmic ebb and flow of the waves provided a brief respite from the chaos of her life, but the memories and expectations of New Haven's elite society weighed heavily on her. She yearned for a fresh start, a place where she could rebuild her life away from the prying eyes of society. California beckoned. The Golden State, with its promises of new beginnings, was being celebrated across the nation. Tales of its stunning landscapes, affordable real estate, and temperate climate filled the pages of books and magazines. The burgeoning railway system further amplified its allure, making it more accessible than ever. For Sarah, California wasn't just a destination. It was a beacon of hope a land where she could carve out a new chapter in her life, away from the shadows of her past. With her sisters Belle, Estelle, and Nettie by her side, along with their families, they began to weave their lives into the fabric of what would soon become San Jose. The bond between the sisters was intense, a comforting presence amidst the unfamiliarity of their new surroundings. But as always, the specter of tragedy was never too far away. Estelle, 
Grappling with the emotional scars of a broken marriage sought solace in substances that slowly eroded her health. Her sudden demise in 1894 was a stark reminder of the fragility of life. The grief was all too familiar for Sarah, a cruel echo of the losses she had already endured. Belle, also seeking a fresh start, decided to move out with her family. Sarah, ever the supportive sister, assisted in renovating Belle's new abode. This endeavor rekindled Sarah's love for architecture and design. The intricate patterns, the play of light and shadow, the fusion of form and function. It was a world where Sarah could lose herself, a canvas where she could paint her own dreams. With a vast fortune at her disposal and time on her side, Sarah was poised at the cusp of a creative renaissance. The constraints that once bound her had dissolved, replaced by a boundless horizon of possibilities. The stage was set for Sarah to channel her passion, creativity, and vision into crafting a masterpiece that would stand the test of time. Sarah's fervor for her unique passion was a thread that stood out to society, drawing both intrigue and, unfortunately, misconceptions. To many, she was painted as a woman ensnared by her grief, a soul wandering in the labyrinth of sorrow. Whispers circulated, suggesting that she sought solace in seances, attempting to bridge the chasm between life and death to reach out to her departed William and Annie. Some even brazenly labeled her an eccentric, a woman consumed by the shadows of morality and mortality. Yet it's crucial to understand the zeitgeist of the era. The act of communicating with the departed wasn't an oddity. It was a beacon of hope in a world shrouded in loss. Far from being an arcane ritual, it was a testament to the human spirit's quest for connection beyond the veil of existence. In a society still nursing the wounds of the Civil War, where the specter of death had touched every hearth and home, traditional religious anchors seemed inadequate to bear the collective grief. The populace yearned for something palpable, a sign that their loved ones were still with them in some ethereal form. And in this quest, spiritual communication emerged not as a fringe practice, but as a rational, almost scientific endeavor, especially among the echelons of society that Sarah moved in. This was not just accepted, but embraced. However, it's worth noting that concrete evidence linking Sarah to mediums or seances is scant. While tales abound of her consulting a particular medium, the very existence of such individual remains shrouded in mystery. But even if Sarah did seek solace in spiritualism, it wouldn't have been an aberration. It would have been a reflection of a society in transition, grappling with loss and seeking new ways to heal. I've actually covered spiritualism in great depth in one of my favorite episodes I've ever put out called Spiritualism in America, The Seance in the White House. If you want to hear a detailed history of spiritualism and its rise across multiple continents, definitely go check out that episode because I cover it in great detail, and I'm extremely proud of how that one came out, and I think you might enjoy it. For a little extra context as to the society and the religious beliefs and spirituality of the people of this era, Sarah's journey of healing and self-expression found its canvas in the realm of architecture. By 1886, she had acquired a quaint, two-story farmhouse nestled on Los Gatos Road. But for Sarah, this wasn't just a house. It was a blank slate, an opportunity to breathe life into her visions. 
Her fascination with the grandeur of late Victorian fairs and exhibitions became evident in the way she adorned her abode. She didn't just bring back trinkets and artifacts from these fairs, she brought back inspiration. The vibrant energy of these events, the laughter, the camaraderie, the sheer joy of it all found a permanent home in her estate. She meticulously recreated elements of these fairs, crafting serene spots where she could just indulge in picnics and tea sessions with her beloved sisters, reliving the magic of those exhibitions. The global gardens showcased at these fairs sparked a flame in Sarah. She envisioned gardens that weren't just beautiful, but were also a tapestry of cultures, a testament to the diverse beauty of the world. Drawing from various architectural journals, jotting down her innovative ideas, and collaborating with a myriad of builders, Sarah embarked on a mission to bring these gardens to life. In the opulence of the Gilded Age, where extravagance was just the norm, even Sarah stood out. Not because of her wealth, but because of her approach to it. She wasn't just another wealthy individual indulging in luxury. She was a soul-seeking solace a heart yearning for expression. Every brick laid, every plant sewn, every artifact placed was a piece of Sarah's heart, reflection of her own journey. In the intricate designs and lavish gardens of her estate, one can see a woman who, amidst the challenges of life, found her sanctuary in creation. Sarah's approach to her home's design was as fluid as her thoughts. She wasn't bound by the conventions of architectural planning, nor was she driven by a singular vision. Instead, she let her whims guide her. If a particular design or room didn't resonate with her spirit, she had no qualms about altering it or even starting from scratch. This spontaneous, almost impulsive approach to design is what led to the enigmatic layout of the mystery house. It wasn't a deliberate attempt to baffle spirits, as many tales suggest. Rather, it was a reflection of Sarah's free spirit. She didn't feel the need to adhere to a grand master plan. She took joy in the journey of creation, even if it meant meandering through disjointed ideas. Sarah herself once referred to her abode as rambling, a term that aptly captures its sprawling, unpredictable nature. But let's put this into even more perspective. The Victorian era with its penchant for ornate designs and intricate layouts, often produced homes that were inherently maze-like. If you've ever ventured into an authentic Victorian home, you'd know the feeling of being lost in a labyrinth of rooms and corridors. The floor plans of these homes, with their nooks, crannies, and hidden spaces, can be disorienting. So while Sarah's design choices certainly amplified this effect, the essence of such a layout was not entirely uncommon for the time. The architectural choices of the Victorian era were not just about aesthetics. They were deeply rooted in practicality. Homes of that time, with their myriad of interconnected rooms, were designed with a purpose in mind. In an age devoid of modern conveniences like central heating or air conditioning, the design of a home played a crucial role in ensuring comfort throughout the seasons. Imagine a chilly winter's night. In a compact room with its doors shut and a fireplace roaring, warmth would envelop the space quickly, providing a cozy refuge from the biting cold outside. Conversely, during the sweltering days of summer, 
A small room with its windows flung open would allow for a swift circulation of air, cooling the space efficiently. To our contemporary eyes, accustomed to open-plan living in vast, airy spaces, the Victorian layout might seem chaotic and cramped. But back then, it was a design born out of necessity. The seemingly cluttered arrangement was a strategic response to the climatic challenges of the era. And for those with a creative flair like Sarah, their homes became canvases. They were free to experiment, to play with space and design, leading to some truly unique and, by today's standards, eccentric creations. Sarah's mystery house might be one of the most famous examples, but she was far from alone in her architectural adventures. The era was brimming with homeowners who, driven by both practicality and artistic expression, crafted residences that were as functional as they were fantastical. The house's intricate plumbing systems, its innovative methods of water recycling, and the early adoption of electricity were all indicative of a mind that was constantly seeking to push boundaries and embrace the new. Yet, like any artist, Sarah faced her fair share of challenges. Her words penned in frustration about the unforeseen complications of her designs resonate with the struggles of creators everywhere. But it's the passion and dedication to the craft that keeps one going. Contrary to popular myths that paint her as a relentless taskmaster, Sarah was considerate and understanding. Recognizing the physical toll that continuous construction could take on her workers, she often gave them extended breaks ensuring their well-being. The halt in construction after 1906 further debunks the myths that have long surrounded her. As the mansion grew in size and complexity, it inevitably drew attention. The sprawling edifice with its unconventional design and ceaseless construction in the eyes of the public became a point of intrigue for many. Whispers and rumors began to circulate, and over time, the truth about Sarah and her beloved home was overshadowed by legends and tall tales. Yet beneath the myths lies the story of a woman in her architectural masterpiece, a testament to her vision, creativity, and spirit. In an era where society was bound by conventions and expectations, Sarah Winchester's desire for solitude and privacy was seen as unconventional, especially for a woman of her stature. Declining invitations from figures as prominent as U.S. presidents only added to the growing intrigue around her. While Teddy Roosevelt might have been indifferent to the snub, the society of the time was less forgiving. A woman, especially a widow, was expected to adhere to certain societal norms, and Sarah's refusal to play the part made her an easy target for gossip and speculation. Mary Jo Ignafo's book, Captive of the Labyrinth, paints a vivid picture of the societal pressures Sarah faced. Her neighbors, unable to understand or gain access to her, resorted to mockery. In their eyes, she was an outsider, a puzzle that refused to be solved. And when society cannot understand something, it often resorts to ridicule. Journalism of the time, with its penchant for sensationalism, only added fuel to the fire. The press, always on the lookout for a juicy story, found in Sarah a subject ripe for speculation. The truth of her life, her passions and her desires were overshadowed by exaggerated tales and half-truths. 
The narrative of the mysterious widow was far more enticing than the story of a woman seeking solitude and a creative outlet in her architectural endeavors. In the end, Sarah Winchester's legacy became intertwined with myths and legends. But beneath the tales and the gossip lies the story of a woman who dared to live life on her own terms, defying societal expectations and carving out a space for herself in a world that often misunderstood her. The Victorian era was a time of contrasts. On the one hand, it was an age of progress, innovation, and scientific discovery. On the other, it was a time rife with superstition, gossip, and sensationalism. Newspapers of the time, always hungry for a story that would sell, often blurred the lines between fact and fiction. In such an environment, Sarah Winchester, with her reclusive nature and her ever-expanding mansion, became the perfect fodder for wild speculations and tall tales. The press, always eager for a juicy story, painted Sarah as a woman driven by superstitions and hunted by ghosts. The narrative was too tempting to resist. A wealthy widow, building a labyrinthian mansion, driven by guilt over the deaths caused by the very rifles that brought her fortune. The story practically wrote itself. And with each new addition to her home, the tales grew wilder. From being merely superstitious, she was soon labeled as snobbish, death-fearing, and eventually, mad. The mansion, with its domes, turrets, cupolas, and towers, became a symbol of her supposed madness and obsession with the occult. Yet there are those who saw the situation for what it was. A wealthy woman, choosing to spend her fortune as she saw fit, without concern for societal norms or expectations. As one local aptly put it, it wasn't fair to label someone a crank simply because they chose to keep to themselves. So here's a thought. What happens when someone opts for silence? The world seemed eager to cast Sarah in the role of a tormented figure, hunted by the ghosts of those who met their end by the very rifles that padded her wealth, but let's pause and reconsider. Isn't it curious, maybe even a bit unsettling, how we tend to oversimplify complex individuals, particularly women, into stories that fit neatly into our preconceived boxes? Maybe Sarah's silence wasn't an admission of guilt or a sign of a fractured mind. Maybe it was her defense, her way of erecting a barrier against the constant hum of rumors and whispers. In the world of storytelling, especially in the realm of true crime, there's a tendency to simplify, to reduce. We take the vast, intricate tapestry of a person's life and try to fit it into a neat narrative box. It's easier that way. But what if, in doing so, we're missing the real story? What if the truth is far more complex, more nuanced than the tales we've ever been told? Sarah Winchester's life, her choices, her silence, they've been interpreted in so many ways. What if it all was a deliberate choice? A way to maintain control over her own narrative in a world that was all too eager to write it for her? It's worth considering, especially in a world where women's stories are so often co-opted, simplified, or outright dismissed. Maybe Sarah's silence was her way of pushing back, of asserting her own agency in a world that often denied her that right. Maybe, just maybe, 
there's more to her story than we've been led to believe. As I'm piecing together Sarah's narrative, I'm struck by how easy it is to jump to conclusions. Her life, mirroring the labyrinthian quarters of her mansion, didn't follow a straight line. It zigzagged, took unexpected turns, and presented hidden doors. And that's what makes her story so riveting, demanding a closer, more nuanced examination. But hold on a second, let's not get lost in these musings just yet. We need to fully walk through Sarah's story before I dive into these deeper waters. In the early hours of April 18, 1906, the earth beneath San Francisco roared to life, unleashing a 7.8 magnitude fury. The city was caught in its devastating grip. By the time the tremors subsided, over 3,000 souls were lost to the earthquake. Buildings lay in ruins and fires raged, consuming what remained. Amidst this chaos, the Winchester Mansion stood wounded. Sarah's architectural masterpiece, a labor of love spanning two decades, was now a shadow of its former self. I can only imagine the heartbreak she must have felt, seeing her dream home so ravaged. There must have been moments when she considered tearing it all down and starting anew. But Sarah, ever the resilient spirit, chose a different path. She decided to salvage what remained, leaving behind a maze of architectural oddities. Staircases leading to nowhere, doors leading into voids, and hallways that seemed to defy logic. These quirks, often attributed to Sarah's supposed eccentricities, were in fact remnants of that fateful day. Those mysterious doors? They once led to balconies. Those stairs? They had destinations before the quake. Even the sealed chimneys tell a tale of a home forever altered by nature's wrath. Sarah's own words capture the essence of her transformed abode. It looks as though it was built by a crazy person, she said. Yet as time wore on, the narrative shifted. The house, instead of being seen as a testament to nature's unpredictable power, became a canvas for wild tales of hauntings and restless spirits. Sarah, instead of being recognized for her resilience, was painted as a woman tormented by phantoms. The true story of the Winchester Mansion was overshadowed by sensationalized tales of the supernatural. Sarah's response to the growing curiosity and intrusion was to erect tall hedges around her property, creating a sanctuary away from prying eyes. It's telling that those who were closest to her, those who interacted with her daily, never bought into the tales of her alleged madness or eccentricities. Her family, friends, the contractors who worked on her house, her legal team, and the employees who lived on her estate, they all saw the real Sarah. She was an employer who, in a time rife with racial prejudices, hired a diverse workforce. Many of her employees were of Japanese and Chinese descent, and they didn't just work for her. They lived on the property, raising their families there. A testament to the bond they shared with Sarah is evident in the naming of Tommy Nishihara's granddaughter born on the property in 1913 as Ido Winchester Nishihara. Yet in an era where racial biases ran deep, Sarah's decision to hire non-white workers and pay them generously was met with skepticism and disdain by the white elite. Whispers of her supposedly engaging in bizarre rituals with her employees began to circulate. 
Given her declining health, it's hard to imagine Sarah partaking in any such activities. But then again, rumors have a way of taking on a life of their own, especially when they concern someone as strange and enigmatic on the outside as Sarah Winchester. I genuinely hope you don't interpret this episode so far as an attempt to strip away the allure of the Winchester Mystery House. Far from it. My driving force is a profound concern for historical inaccuracies and how they can distort the genuine stories of real individuals. I aim to approach the remainder of this episode from a fresh perspective, delving deeper into understanding Sarah. I'm eager to share a unique thought experiment and analogy, and I hope you'll embark on this journey with me. Sarah wasn't merely a figment of a gothic tale. She was a living, breathing individual who led an intriguing life and gifted us with a house that stands as a testament to Victorian architectural brilliance and quirks. Beyond the exaggerated stories of her alleged remorse and spectral encounters, Sarah clearly was a captivating figure in her own right. In an emerging Californian society, she yearned for nothing more than her privacy. A simple request that was seemingly too grand for a woman of her eccentricities. I can see why the Mystery House capitalized on the eerie Winchester narrative. It's a magnet for visitors and revenue, essential for the maintenance of such a grand estate. Believe me, preserving these grand Victorian mansions, especially the intricately designed ones, doesn't come without a hefty price tag. But here's where I want to begin to pivot a bit. Imagine, if you will, a painter. A painter pours their heart and soul into every brushstroke, creating a masterpiece that's a reflection of their innermost thoughts, dreams, and emotions. Over time, this painting becomes famous, not for the artistry or the message it conveys, but for rumors that it's cursed. People flock to see it, not to appreciate its beauty, but to gawk at the supposed haunted canvas. The true essence of the painting, the artist's intent, is overshadowed by sensational tales. This, in many ways, is the story of Sarah Winchester and her house. She was an artist, and her medium was architecture. The house was her canvas, where she expressed her creativity, her passions, and her love for Victorian design. But instead of being remembered for her architectural prowess, she's become a ghost story. And I get it. Ghost stories sell. They're intriguing. They're mysterious. And they captivate our imaginations. I mean, hell, I tell them on this podcast on a weekly basis. But in the process, the real Sarah Winchester has been lost. The woman who faced immense personal tragedies who had a keen eye for design, and who simply wanted a private sanctuary, has been overshadowed by tales of haunting and curses. It's not about debunking the myths or taking away the allure of the mystery house. It's about giving Sarah Winchester her due. It's about recognizing her as a person, not just a character in a spooky tale. It's about appreciating the house for what it truly is, a testament to one woman's creativity and resilience. So, the next time you hear about the Winchester Mystery House, remember the real Sarah. Remember the woman who, despite all odds, built a masterpiece. And maybe, give her the respect and recognition she so rightly deserves. 
If you find yourself wandering through the halls of the Winchester Mystery House on a guided tour, you'll quickly realize that the narrative isn't presented as hard fact. Christy, who goes by the handle Tiny Dooms on TikTok and once worked as a tour guide at the mansion, sheds light on the intriguing interplay between legend and reality at the house. She shares. Visitors to the Winchester house are introduced to the legend. However, the depth of the story they receive varies. Some guides delve deep into the historical aspects, the architectural marvels, and the documented facets of Mrs. Winchester's life. Others, however, lean heavily into the legend. When it comes to popular paranormal shows like Ghost Adventurers, Ghost Hunters, and BuzzFeed Unsolved, they're often met with the official historian who's bound to relay just the legend. You'll catch her using phrases like, legend says, or as the story goes. It's almost palpable, her restraint in not divulging the full truth. The ghostly tales and seance stories have become so intertwined with Sarah Winchester's legacy that they're now an integral part of the narrative. I just wish that, alongside these tales, the genuine account of her life wasn't so frequently overshadowed. This entire thought experiment and analogy that I'm about to go into a little bit is my earnest endeavor to ensure Sarah Winchester's story doesn't fade into obscurity. Instead of being ensnared by the tantalizing allure of the paranormal tales that have long overshadowed her narrative, let's now pivot our focus. Let's delve a little deeper, beyond the ghostly whispers and eerie hallways, to truly understand the mind of Sarah Winchester. By doing so, we not only honor her legacy, but also gain a richer understanding of the woman behind the legend, appreciating her not for the mysteries her house holds, but for the intricate tapestry of her life and the spirit she embodied. The deeper I dig into Sarah's move to California and the ever-evolving Winchester Mystery House, the more I feel like I'm walking through a physical manifestation of her internal struggles. The maze-like layout, rooms that resonate with contrasting emotions, could it be that this was Sarah's way of processing her grief? Maybe with every brick laid and beam raised, she was carving out a space for her memories and her pain. Every time I meander through the maze-like pathways of my thoughts, I find myself asking, why do some memories stick, while others just vanish? Forgetting, it seems, is as much a part of us as the act of holding on. Our minds, these sprawling landscapes, can't possibly hold on to every passing thought. And just like the mysterious corridors of the Winchester house, some memories light our way, while others get lost in the shadows. Time might wear down the sharpness of certain moments, but those core memories, the ones that shape who we are, they endure. Walking through these metaphorical corridors, our exploration transcends the physical walls of a mansion. We're setting off on a voyage into the labyrinth of the human soul, seeking to fathom how memories mold us, how they anchor our yesterdays, shape our todays, and cast shadows on our tomorrows. I have to ask, what stories are echoing in the quarters of your own thoughts? Which doors in your mind swing open with a rush of memories, and which ones stay locked, keeping their mysteries hidden? Staircases, too, have struck me as more than just architectural constructs, and the Winchester Mystery House has a plethora of them. Honestly, they're more like bridges, linking one realm to another, 
guiding us upwards towards the skies or downwards into the earth's embrace. I've come to see these staircases as allegories for our emotional odysseys, much like ascending a flight to be greeted by a panorama that takes our breath away, or descending into a cellar brimming with relics of the past. Our emotions chart a course through peaks of joy and valleys of sorrow. Stress is a formidable player when it comes to understanding human emotion and the complex nuances that accompany it. Renowned psychologists describe stress as a reaction to any shift that necessitates an adjustment or response. It's the body's alarm bell, signaling when something requires our focus. Each one of us in our own unique journeys has grappled with the shadow of stress, felt its weight pressing down on our shoulders. Reflecting on Sarah Winchester's life, I can't help but wonder if the staircases in her complex abode were more than just wood and nails. Could they have been the canvases on which she painted her emotional landscape? Those perplexing staircases that lead to brick walls might echo the unresolved chapters of her life, the questions left unanswered. In contrast, the grand stairways ushering one into opulent chambers could be her moments of epiphany, the times when the fog lifted, revealing clarity. In the tapestry of Sarah Winchester's life, each thread weaves a tale of profound emotion. The heart-wrenching loss of her cherished Annie, compounded by the void left by William's untimely departure, must have felt like an inexorable descent into a chasm of grief. Each step, each corridor in her ever-evolving mansion might echo with the weight of these sorrows. The labyrinthian design with its myriad twists and turns seems to me like Sarah's journey through her own emotional maze, a search for a beacon of hope amidst the shadows, or perhaps an endeavor to compartmentalize the overwhelming pain. But as I wander through the mansion in my mind's eye, I'm reminded that not every staircase is shadowed by melancholy. Some usher you into sun-drenched conservatories where life blossoms in every nook, overflowing with resilience and rebirth. Others guide you to opulent ballrooms, where one can almost hear the echoes of laughter and melodies of bygone celebrations. Could these be the markers of Sarah's moments of elation, the chapters where love and joy penned their tales? I often muse if the very act of creation, the rhythmic hammering and chiseling, was Sarah's sanctuary, a conduit to channel her tumultuous emotions into form, creating the legacy that now speaks to us of both her sorrows and joys. Our own emotional tapestries, akin to these same staircases, are often woven from both the tangible events that unfold around us and the intangible tempests that brew within. It's easy to conflate stress with anxiety. While stress is the shadow cast by external happenings, anxiety is the soul's inner turbulence in response to that shadow. For Sarah, the tangible heartbreaks, the void left by departed loved ones and the looming legacy of the Winchester name, were her stressors. The mansion, with its intricate and often bewildering architecture, might stand as a monument to her anxiety, a tangible reflection of her soul's tumultuous dance with these external forces. I recognize that this is a fairly complex analogy, one that requires some willingness to step into a new perspective than what I usually provide here, but we're tracing the footsteps of Sarah's emotional odyssey, grasping the peaks and troughs, the moments of ecstasy and despair, and the intricate dance of feelings that birthed this architectural riddle. 
Let's try something maybe a little different. Close your eyes for a moment. Imagine standing at the threshold of a door, its surface worn by time, its handle cold yet inviting. Behind this door isn't just a room, but a tangible representation of your innermost thoughts, fears, dreams, and memories. What if you could step into this space, walk its quarters, and touch the walls echoing with your own past, present, and future? This is how I see the Winchester Mystery House. Not just as a building, but as a manifestation of the mind's intricate labyrinths. Our minds are vast landscapes filled with stories, emotions, and moments that define us. Dreams, those elusive threads that connect our conscious and subconscious, often blur the lines between reality and fantasy. They're our mind's way of processing, understanding, and sometimes escaping the complexities of our daily lives. As we navigate the winding hallways and countless rooms of Sarah's mansion, it's like walking through these dreams. Bright, sunlit rooms adorned with art might represent our happiest memories and aspirations. Meanwhile, the shadowy corners and dead-end hallways might symbolize our fears, regrets, and the questions we grapple with. Through this lens, the Winchester House isn't just an architectural wonder. It's a journey into the human psyche, and I want to take you on this exploration not just to understand Sarah, but to reflect on our own inner worlds. But what about the ghost stories, you might ask? I seem to be diminishing those or eradicating them from the story entirely. That's certainly not my purpose here, but rather allowing us to recognize that their legends have been allowed to grow and take on a life of their own, far removed from the factual experiences of those that are there. I don't know about you, but I seem to have noticed that almost all the largest television paranormal investigation shows that have visited the mansion seem to be wildly underwhelming when it comes to the actual paranormal activity captured. I think the most poignant example I can recall is the Destination Fear team prior to its brilliant move to YouTube becoming Project Fear. Chelsea Layden has a bone-chilling experience where an invisible hand clearly lifts and shifts her ponytail off her shoulder. But outside of that, the mansion is eerily quiet. But that's not to suggest that there aren't stories. The whispered legends of ghostly figures, the inexplicable cold drafts, and the ethereal murmurs that echo through the halls hint at a realm where the tangible meets the intangible. These aren't just rooms. Perhaps they're reservoirs of very raw emotion, repositories of poignant memories, and perhaps sanctuaries for spirits tethered to the past. Could it be possible that Sarah, enveloped in her tapestry of sorrow and solitude, was sculpting spaces that encapsulated her soul's tumult, that each nook, cranny, and chamber was a tangible piece in the diary of her existence? Dreams and their ethereal essence are a mosaic of our waking moments and the whimsical wanderings of our subconscious. They can serve as refuges, offering solace from life's storms or as theaters where our deepest anxieties play out. The Winchester House, with its labyrinthian layout, is a testament to this intricate interplay. Chambers, awash with mirrors, might echo Sarah's journey of self-reflection, her endeavor to find clarity amidst life's cacophony. Conversely, 
Rooms where windows unveil nothing but brick barriers might symbolize her feelings of entrapment, a poignant portrayal of a soul ensnared in the relentless grip of mourning and melancholy. The realm of the subconscious, often likened to the unseen depths beneath an iceberg's visible tip, is an expansive treasure trove of memories, longings, apprehensions, and passions. It operates in hushed whispers, subtly steering our choices, responses, and actions from the shadows, often unbeknownst to our conscious self. Nestled within the Winchester Mystery House's intricate design is the seance room. This chamber, shrouded in mystery and lore, can be perceived as a gateway into this elusive domain of the subconscious. Tales of Sarah Winchester's nocturnal sojourns to this chamber have become a cornerstone of her public persona. Legend paints a vivid picture of her, ensconced within the seance room, reaching out to ethereal entities, seeking their counsel on the ceaseless metamorphosis of her mansion. But let's pause and ponder. Were these seances solely a bridge to the spectral realm, or could they have perhaps been a profound voyage into the recesses of her own psyche, a quest to confront and perhaps find solace from the phantoms of her past that relentlessly pursued her? And in doing so, might it be possible that she inadvertently created some of the energy, memories, and echoes resounding within the walls of the Winchester Mystery House? The seance room, shrouded in an almost palpable mystique, stands as a beacon to the profound depths of our subconscious. It's a sanctum, where the tangible and intangible intertwine, where memories both jubilant and jarring emerge from the shadows. In this sacred space, Sarah might have sought refuge, endeavoring to decipher the labyrinthian tapestry of her life's adversities and chart a path to serenity. Dreams, as we've journeyed through, also serve as portals to our subconscious, revealing our deepest yearnings and darkest apprehensions. Seances, echoing this sentiment, can be perceived as a ceremonial dance with this concealed domain. While the notion of communing with spirits might be draped in the cloak of the paranormal, if we peel back the layers from a psychological lens, it emerges as a profound act of introspection. A dialogue not just with ethereal beings, but with the myriad facets of one's soul. Perhaps the spirits Sarah endeavored to connect with were not denizens of another realm, or not just denizens of another realm, but reflections of her own psyche, echoes of her joys, sorrows, and the shadow of a dark and troubled past. In my musings and research, I've come to realize the profound influence our subconscious wields over our actions. It's akin to a vast reservoir, brimming with automatic responses and reflexes. Consider the act of mastering a bicycle or the delicate dance of fingers over piano keys. At the outset, every motion and note demands our undivided attention. Yet as time unfurls, these actions seamlessly weave into our subconscious tapestry, enabling us to execute them effortlessly without a conscious prompt. Drawing a parallel to the design of the Winchester House, one could surmise that Sarah's initial architectural endeavors were conscious attempts to navigate her tumultuous sea of grief. However, as the years ebbed and flowed, this construction ritual might have seeped into her subconscious with each hallway and chamber manifesting as tangible echoes of her myriad emotions and recollections. 
In my reflections, I've often pondered the profound impact of our foundational beliefs. They're akin to the roots of a mighty tree, unseen but providing the vital sustenance and stability for the towering structure above. As we navigate the tumultuous waters of life, it's these core beliefs that act as our compass, guiding us through storms and leading us to safe harbors. The late 19th and early 20th centuries were a time of immense change. The world was rapidly modernizing, and yet, amidst the whirlwind of progress, there was a deep-seated yearning for connection. Connection to the past, to loved ones lost, and to the mysteries of the universe. Spiritualism, with its promise of bridging the gap between the living and the departed, resonated deeply with many, including Sarah Winchester. It wasn't just a passing fancy. It was a belief system, a way of understanding the world and one's place in it. One might say, a foundational belief. And here's a thought that's lingered with me. The spirits that Sarah supposedly communed with during her seances, those ethereal voices from beyond, could they have been echoes of her own inner voice? Could they have been manifestations of her deepest fears, hopes, regrets, and aspirations? If so, then those nightly rituals in the seance room were more than just spiritual communications— They were profound moments of introspection where Sarah confronted her own psyche, seeking answers, clarity, and perhaps a sense of purpose. I'm reminded of the intricate tapestries of our own beliefs. They're the bedrock upon which we build our lives, the foundation that supports our dreams and aspirations. And much like this enigmatic mansion, our beliefs are not static. They're dynamic, evolving with each experience each challenge, and each revelation. And as we navigate our own mazes, may we find the courage to listen to our inner voices, to question, to reflect, and to evolve. As we draw the curtains on this extremely unique episode, I find myself reflecting on the journey we've undertaken together. The Winchester Mystery House, with its quarters and rooms, has been unlike any narrative we've delved into before. And I hope you've enjoyed this departure from our usual tales, this introspective exploration into the mansion of the mind. Nestled in San Jose, this mansion stands as a testament not just to architectural wonder, but to the ever-evolving nature of our beliefs and psyche. It's a living testament to the idea that our foundational beliefs aren't just inherited or taught, but are continuously molded by our experiences and introspections. Each corridor we've walked, each room we've peered into, and every staircase we've ascended or descended has become a metaphorical step into the vast expanse of the human psyche. It's been a journey of discovery, of understanding the myriad facets of our consciousness. But what does this all mean for you, my listener? Please take this as an invitation. An invitation to embark on your own journey of introspection to explore the corridors of your own mind, to confront your past, and to embrace your present, to reflect on the very foundation of your beliefs and to understand the emotions that guide you, to hold a nightly seance of sorts that allows you the safe space to commune with your innermost self. Carl Jung once said, Who looks outside dreams, who looks inside awakens. 
Our exploration of the Winchester Mystery House has been a dreamlike voyage into the depths of the mind. But now, as we step back into our own realities, it's time to awaken, to apply the insights we've gleaned, and to navigate our world with renewed understanding and perspective. I'm reminded of the words of John Milton. The mind is its own place, and in itself can make a heaven of hell, a hell of heaven. Let this resonate with you, reminding us all of the power of perspective and the incredible capacity of the mind to shape our experiences. Thank you for indulging me in this different approach, for venturing into uncharted territories of this narrative with me. I hope this episode has added a unique layer to our ongoing conversation, and as always, I'm grateful for your company on this journey. Let's continue to seek understanding, introspection, and growth in all our adventures ahead. I'm Jeremy Haig, and this has been A Journey Within, a deep dive into the mysteries of the mind, using the Winchester Mystery House as our guide. Thank you for joining me on this exploration, and until next time, keep exploring, keep reflecting, and keep journeying within. Another episode down, and I hope you all enjoyed this one. I hope it gives you things to reflect on. If you're a tarot reader or a spiritualist of any kind, maybe use some of the questions from this episode and the thoughts they might have percolated for you uh, as a journal opportunity or to pull some tarot cards around and really start to look at yourself in a different light. I wanted to provide and bring something very different to the narrative around the Winchester Mystery House because there's so many other great podcasts out there that already cover a lot of the history and hauntings and that kind of thing. And so I wanted to take something different. I wanted to take a unique approach, a new vision for it. And I hope you all enjoyed the slightly different take from what we're, we're used to. My name is Jeremy Haig. Again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at when walls can talk with underscores for spaces. You can also catch me as a psychic medium and paranormal investigator uh, in my drag alter egos character. Uh, her name is Betty Swallows All Night, and she is a powerhouse drag entertainer here in Denver, Colorado. But we've recently started a new YouTube series called Ghost Hunty TV 
where we are investigating in drag some of the biggest paranormal locations currently in Colorado, but quickly will be going around the country. So if you want to see me kind of in action, channeling, doing Estes Method, using REM pods, uh, the spirit box, all the different paranormal equipment, go check it out on YouTube. I'd love to hear what you think. And I think with that, I will let you go. I hope this episode inspires you and enlightens you on your own life journey. And I can't wait to talk to you again next week. So long. Thank you.